Amen. We're here today not because we're religious. We're here today not because of my scintillating speaking ability, but because we have a relationship with one because he lives. I can face whatever uncertainty there is. And so we're going to talk a little more about him and his teaching. And so if you'll turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Jesus, it's, it's, it's interesting. He always seems to get invitations to eat at homes of people who don't like him. So I guess um, he can re- uh, the pastors can relate to him because often they're invited to homes to people who don't like them, and usually on the menu is roast pastor. And so Jesus is very well acquainted with this. And so, but notice he, we don't ever see that he declines the invitation. Even though that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers are opposed to him and, and seek and have sought to stone him and to do away with him, he continues to minister unto them. And because he does that, he continues to minister to you and me. And so in verse uh, 1 through 6, it says this, And it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. You know, uh, for you and I, we'd probably be very uncomfortable with that. You know, know, everything we do, you know, do we take the right fork, and, and do we know what we're doing? And they're watching him very closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now, that's not a word we're really familiar with. It's basically a disease that uh, has fluid retention. And so if, if you've ever had fluid retention, you know how uncomfortable and painful and difficult that could be. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, he's asking the question that he's already demonstrated what he thinks of the answer. He thinks of the answer is that, yes, it is. Not only is he the Lord of the Sabbath, but that the word says that we are to do good on the Sabbath. And there are some exceptions, if you will, from not working. And he has laid those out. And so he asked them before they before he does what he intends to do. So after asking the question, but they kept silent. Now, this is probably the first smart thing that they've ever done. There is a saying that says that it is better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than open your mouth and rid, rid all doubt. And so here they're just, well, and quite frankly, Every time that they've had a discussion with Jesus, or we might call a debate, Jesus has mopped the floor with them. And so much so that not only do they realize that Jesus far exceeded their abilities, we saw in other times when the crowds said, yeah, he's right, you leaders are wrong. And so uh, they do the smart thing and just keep quiet. And he took hold of him, Notice, Jesus has healed in a number of ways. He has spoken. He has touched. 
He has made mud. He has done all kinds of things. But we see in this so that it is clear that he is doing something other than speaking. He takes hold of him and healed him and sent him away. Didn't ask him to stay for dinner. He said, I don't want the controversy to devolve around you. So go ahead and leave. God's already done something for you. Glorify God elsewhere. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? He's going, I'll, I'll give you two examples. I'll give you an example of your son. You probably love your son. And in that day, your son was your social security benefit. When you became old and decrepit, he was the one who was to work and provide for you. So there goes your 401k in a hole. You know, it's, it's kind of like watching the, um, the Dow Jones plummet. Okay. So he's going, which one of you having a son? Not only do you love him, but he's your economic survival. You'll get him out of the well. But even more than that, if it's just an ox, something that's a, a beast of burden, something that will help you to farm, you're going to be concerned. Now, hopefully it's easier to get your son out than an ox. And it takes a lot of effort to get an ox out of the hole. So he says, if, if you will do that, then why is it not lawful to do that? Now, I find this constant questioning of healing on the Sabbath Particularly interesting because the Pharisees and Sadducees are always proud of being children of Abraham. They think that there's confidence in being children of Abraham. And yet when a child of Abraham is in need and God acts, they're somehow disturbed by that. Jesus isn't even healing a, a Samarian. He's not healing a Roman while he has but on the Sabbath, he's healing a person who is a child of Abraham. And yet there always seems to be opposition. And they could make no reply to this because they know Jesus is right. But they'd rather hold on to their traditions than the love of God. And so after this happened, the... People are starting to take what we would say are seats, but in the first century, they would, take, they would lay down. Free people lay down at the table, and they would eat that way. And so he says, he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, now, again, what's happening is, it's, and we're going to see in just a moment, then it's a wedding, there'll be a wedding feast that he's going to talk about this parable. And I want you to notice it's a parable, which means that there is not only practical advice, if you might say, but there is spiritual advice. And so in our modern day, when we have a wedding feast, generally speaking, now there are some exceptions, but mostly when you go to a wedding feast after the wedding and you go to the reception, there are little placards where your name is and that's where you're supposed to sit. 
Now, if you're close to the family, you usually get a better table. And if you're not close to the family, or the family's not particularly thrilled with you, you don't get a good table. You get one behind one of the pillars, and you can hardly see anything. I generally don't mind going to weddings because they're about 20, 30 minutes long. I don't like receptions because they're like hours long, and I'm never thrilled with dancing because I'm not that great at it. And I don't drink that much, and so I just don't party. So it's just, and usually I get stuck at a table that I don't want to talk to the people anyway. And so, but you're there. And you get the idea of how valuable you are because of where you're placed or who's placed with you. Like if you're placed with the family that they don't like, you can take a hint. Now, Jesus is saying this isn't what happens in theirs. People choose their own seating. And he's noticing that they're choosing the better seats. There were the seats, because generally speaking, in their situation, while we're in a bunch of round tables, they're kind of on tables with the U shape so the people can come serve. And so you want to be at the head table. You don't want to be at the foot because you can't hear what's going on, can't see what's going on. And the head table usually gets served first. And when the chicken's cold, you get it at the end. If you're lucky... Because usually it's chicken and maybe roast beef, and the roast beef is always gone. And you get, like, if you like white meat, you get dark meat. Or if you like dark meat, you get white meat because you're just at the end. And so they're going, and they're sitting at the places of honor. And he began saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, or someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. He's going, okay, you went to the head table, and somebody else got invited, the mayor of the town, somebody who's more significant than you, and because everybody's taking the better seats, Guess which one is left? The last seats. So he's going, because there's no other seats, you may, des- you may deserve a better seat, but all the seats will be, have been taken, and so you're going to end up in the last one. So Jesus is giving them advice. Act wisely. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all of those who are at the table with you. So he gives them advice. He says, you know, take the last seat. If the the host of the feast sees you and doesn't think that's the appropriate place, he's going to move you. And Jesus says, when you're moved from the worst seat to a better seat, people go, that guy must be well-loved or deserved or whatever, and he receives honor. And Jesus says, if you take the best seat and you end up in the last seat, you're going to be disgraced. But if you take the worst seat and then you're moved up, you will be honored. Well, why is it that people take better seats? Because they think highly of themselves. Let me give you a little advice that Jesus didn't... Almost nobody 
thinks you're as good as you do. Almost nobody thinks you're as great as you think you're great. And when you have the exception that everybody thinks you're great, you're some great evangelist or some large uh, church pastor, or you're some uh, wonderful speaker to women or men or whatever, and everybody thinks, boy, I wish I had his or her ability, or I wish I had their ministry or whatever. That is when you might have the problem of pride. Because then you think that you're God's gift to God rather than you're been given a gift from God. And he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now this is a teaching that Jesus has consistently said, because God hates pride. It's an abomination to him. Pride goes before the fall. So he says, do not exalt yourself. Be humble. Let others exalt you. And in this case, because it is a parable, it is spiritually meant for us to learn from. And so, I want to speak a moment to missionaries who are in the field and they seem like they're not having any success at all. Or that there are pastors in small churches that seem like the church does not seem to grow. Or that there are Bible teachers, whether Sunday school or others, or small groups, and it seems that you're not having an impact. Or you are somebody who simply makes it easier for the church to have service. You do the audio, the visual, the technology, all those things that nobody sees you do, but yet is significant and important so that the world can see what the ministry is. And we get this idea that somehow that they're insignificant, and yet the pastors of great large churches or big missionary associations or evangelistic associations or, or speaking tours and apologetic ministries, we tend to think, okay, God is going to greatly honor them. And yet God tells us to whom much is given, much is required. And to whom little is given, little is required. And so I think one of the things that we need to learn from this is that the, we are going to be invited to a wedding feast. It's called the wedding feast where the bride celebrates her Savior. And that's going to be, take place in heaven. And we're going to be in a feast. And I'm sure that there are going to be a number of Significant pastors, significant not necessarily in the size of their ministry, but in the size of their mind. And that surely God would want them to take the place of honor. But I'm convinced that people we don't know, people who have been prayer warriors on their knees day after day, year after year that we've never heard of, and people who have been missionaries who have thought their entire time was a failure and 
Sunday school teachers and others who thought that no child ever understood what they were teaching and couldn't wait for, to get out of the classroom. I'm convinced that there's going to come a time when they're going to think at that wedding feast of the Lord, that they're going to sit at a, the lower table because after all, we didn't have much success. We couldn't compete with the mega churches and the mega ministries and the blowhards on TV. And I think there's going to come a time at the wedding feast when Jesus, the groom, will come to a person or persons that we've never heard of and say, friend, move up. You're entitled to much more honor than you think you are. But because they've humbled themselves. Now, unfortunately, we oftentimes humble ourselves because we think of a lack of success. We should humble ourselves, not because of lack or betterment of success, but it's because that we know that whatever we have done is because God has gifted us. We save no one. So when there's an altar call and thousands may come, it isn't the great preacher. It's the Holy Spirit that brought those people. You are simply an instrument. And we're going to see in a few weeks that the servant will say, I only did what you told me to do. And so he tells us, whether in our ministry or in our day-to-day -day lives, humble yourself, let others exalt you. Verse 12, he said, he also went on to say to the one who invited him. So now he's just not talking to everybody. He's talking to the, to the Pharisee who invited him. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return. And that will be your repayment. Notice Jesus says, if you hold a party and you invite people to the party and they invite you to their party, you just got repaid for inviting them to the party. So he says, but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says, when you invite the poor, when you invite the crippled, when you invite the blind, they don't have the means to be able to repay you in this life. So God says, I'm going to. And let's face it, I would rather be repaid by God than go to your party. I don't care how good you cook. I don't care how good the spread is. I don't care how awesome the drinks are. God's blessing and repayment is eternal. I'll be hungry before I leave the party. But notice also that God is telling us to be like our Father. Because who of us deserve to be invited to his banquet? We are poor. We are lame. We are crippled, we are blind, and yet he has invited us to his banquet. 
So if God so invited us, then we should invite others in the same condition as we are. And when one of those were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now I think this is great. He doesn't say, Jesus, you're right. I'll change my thing. Uh, the next time I have a reception, I'll invite it. He goes, blesses the people who eat bread in the kingdom. Basically saying, isn't it great when we all get to heaven? But until we all get to heaven, they're still poor. They're still blind. They're still crippled. They're still blind. blind. There's still all these people who need the love of God. And yet we are so wrapped up and someday we'll be in heaven. We forget to love people now. But he says, isn't it going to be blessed? And it is. Amen. It's going to be blessed to eat in the kingdom of God. It's going to be one heck of a party. And, it's not, and, and you don't have to worry about curfew. But forget about later until later. As one person said, we are so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And so this person says, praise God, but doesn't change his actions. And then he gives one more parable about guests at a dinner. But he said to him, the one who said, isn't it going to be awesome to eat bread in the kingdom? But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all began alike to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Now, there are real estate agents who would love to sell you property. But almost every agent makes you see it first. You're kind of foolish to buy property unseen. You see, I'm old enough because I, I know there are now apps online that you can buy a car because you've seen it on your app and you go, I like that car. And you've, I'm an old guy. I like to kick the tires. I want to see the car I'm going to buy. Why don't you want to see the land you're going to buy before you buy it? So this guy is foolish, but I'm going to go back to him in just a minute because I want to talk about all three of them. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Now notice this is dinner time. It's getting close to the time when you shouldn't be working. And now he's saying, well, I bought these oxen. I got to find out if they're good. Well, maybe you should have test driven the oxen before you bought them. Just saying. And, and another one said, I have married a wife and I'm henpecked. No, that's not what he says. He says, I have married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. Okay. 
All of them gave excuses. Now, it's interesting. They got invited before the place, the dinner was ready. They seem to all have what we call the California yes. The California yes is I'll tell you yes until something better comes along or I don't want to go. And so apparently they all received the invitation and nobody RSVP'd I'm not coming. They only RSVP'd they're not coming after the dinner was already prepared. But you know, that seems to be the way humanity is. We allow things in our life to interfere with the invitation that we've been given. God has invited us all into relationship with him. He has invited us all to be his sons and daughters. He has invited us all to his banquet. And yet there are times when we say, please, I have an excuse. Now, the problem with, quite frankly, none of these excuses are good. Quite frankly, there is no excuse that's good enough to not meet the Father. Then the one, and the, and the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry. You see, God doesn't take this lightly. He invited you. He prepared everything for you. And you come up with a flimsy excuse. So God doesn't take the rejection neutrally. He's angry. And said to his slave, notice he doesn't say to his slave, go out and make them come. He says, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The various people we should have been inviting to our meal, this is who God is now inviting because the invited guests didn't come because they gave excuses. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. So he's gone. We've gone everywhere. We've gone to the streets. We've gone to the lanes. We've gone to the small places. And we, everybody that we can compel to come, they've come. But there's still room for this banquet. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. So, the moral to this parable is this. The gospel was presented to the Jew first. Jesus presents himself to the Jew first. But because the Jews and the leaders of the Pharisees and Sadducees are so enamored with them being children of Abraham, they declined the invitation. And because of that declination, you and I are invited. We who are not worthy to have initially been invited because of the rejection by those who should have known who the master is and accept 
not only accepted, but then came to the feast. You and I have been invited. And he invites more. Notice we see only three people invited. And yet, when inviting the crippled and the lame and the blind and the poor, which are usually vastly more numerous than those who can afford land, those who can afford five oxen, those who get married. He says, fill it up. And so sometimes the ignorance and the sinfulness of others leads to us being benefited because they proud sons of Abraham declined the invitation. You and I are not only welcomed, we are compelled to come. And so our song of reflection is come to the table because he's invited us to come to his table. A lot of times we think about that table as a table related to the communion service, but his table is also the wedding supper of the lamb. And he calls us to come and he calls those of us who are unworthy who don't deserve to be invited. And yet, because we can't repay, we are invited. So I encourage you, if you feel the Spirit calling to your soul, to not only accept the invitation, but to move towards the table. And if you've found yourself because of the cares of this life or because of your wanting to get ahead, you find yourself having put aside the invitation. I encourage you to dust it off and say, Lord, I'm coming to the table even though I don't deserve it because I know how much you love me. And all God's people said,